Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. We're going to look at Daniel tonight. Daniel uh, chapter 3, continue there. And you know, the, the book of Daniel, it doesn't only give interesting points of uh, debate uh, about prophecy and the future, it's also uh, timely. As you know, Daniel and his friends experienced a lot of the same things that we might be experiencing uh, today. I mean, they were faced with a pagan nation and a pagan culture that was given over to what I called last week the God of the age, the spirit of the age. You know, really, the Bible calls him the God of this world. And, you know, they, he was faced with a culture that was completely given over to that. And uh, what happens is this world that's given over to the God of the age, they make demands on us that conflict with our faith in the one true God through Jesus Christ. And so that leaves us a choice. Are we going to stand for God? Are we going to stand for Christ? Or are we not? Um, I mean, we do have our struggles here in the West. But, you know, many in Asia and Africa, the Middle East, you know, they, they, it's kind of a life or death issue for them. I mean, for them, you take your stand for God, I mean, you, you might face the death penalty. And we might not be there yet, but I mean, the pressure is still on us to stop standing for God and just kind of fall in line with the world. And, you know, when we look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood their ground, I hope it's an encouragement for us to do the same. So I'll be kind of picking up in the middle of the chapter, and, uh, but before I do, starting in verse 13, but I want to give a little context, what's going on here. So Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about a statue that represented the different kingdoms that would be there in the ancient Near East world. And on the statue, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was represented by this head of gold, and so that kind of inspired Nebuchadnezzar to build a statue that was completely made of gold. And I don't know if this was his way of saying, well, I don't care what the statue says, my kingdom's going to last forever, or, or whatnot. But he wanted to make sure there was a representation there of him, of his rule, of his gods, of his power, of his might, of his empire, maybe a combination of all of them. And he wanted to make sure that the people who were leading in his government bowed down to this statue, showed their loyalty to him and everything that the statue represented, worship that, give all their devotion to the God of the age. And Nebuchadnezzar said that anyone who would refuse to give worship to this idol, whoever refused to bow down to the God of the age, they'd be killed by being thrown into this fiery furnace. Well, all of these political lackeys, they were more than glad to bow down to this statue and worship it in devotion to the God of the age. Almost all of them, except three. Three who remained standing. And it's not so much that they were standing in defiance against the king. It's more so that they were standing in loyalty and devotion to the one true God. And so as we read the passage, I hope it gives us the strength to do the same, especially as the world grows darker and we are feeling more and more pressure to conform 
You either conform or we're going to do violence to you. There's so much violence now happening against anti-abortion places. With the announcement that Roe v. Wade is probably going to be turned, turned around, which it should be, but, you know, there's been a lot of violence against those who stand against abortion. So we're, you know, we're starting to face this kind of stuff. And you know what? What are we going to do faced with that kind of pressure? My prayer is I hope that, you know, we stand against it. Well, I'm going to start reading in verse 13 till the end of the chapter. I know it's a lot of verses, but it gives us a good portion of the, the story here and the picture of what's going on. And so, you know, they had refused to bow down. And so we pick up in verse 13. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar, in, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, that's well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins 
for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now there are several lessons that I want us to uh, consider here tonight in this passage. First, when you take a stand, you may be persecuted. (laughs) And actually, when you take a stand, you probably will be persecuted. Now we look at the story, and we look at Nebuchadnezzar, who is kind of full of himself, and he couldn't believe that anyone would dare defy him or his commands. He actually figured, you know what? These three Jews, they probably didn't understand the instructions that were given. They probably misunderstood what was expected of them, so he gave them another chance to do the quote-unquote right thing, at least in his eyes, or we might say the politically correct thing to do, the culturally appropriate thing to do. He gave them another chance to conform to the ways of the world and the ways of the God of the age. If they, he said, but if you do not conform, you're going to be punished, you're going to be killed. They, 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 they were persecuted because they did not follow the standards of the God of the age, but they stood strong following God's instructions, following God's standards, following God's word. They would not worship what the world worshipped. They kept their worship for the one true God. And Nebuchadnezzar even hinted that even the Jews' God wasn't powerful enough to save them from his hand. Boy, he would find out real quick. Oh, yeah, he is, actually. But, you know, that's just how arrogant Nebuchadnezzar is. There is no God that can save you from me. He thought he was more powerful than God. And so they were persecuted because they stood against the world, They took a stand that was unpopular, and they refused to bend or bow or compromise in any way. And we face that with the world. This world is under the influence, under the sway, under the power of the God of the age. And so the world is going to go after anybody who does not fall in line, who does not fall in lockstep with everything that the world stands for. You will be canceled. You're going to be mocked by those who remain loyal to the God of the age. Because they conform. It's all about conformity. And I find it kind of strange that these generations, the generations in the past, they say that they are being nonconformists. It's all about nonconformity. Tear down the system. Right? That was kind of the big thing in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, the the other generations, they think too, oh, we're going to go against the system. And yet they're the very ones who are following the system like a bunch of lemmings. Guess what? We're the nonconformists now. Because we will not bow down to the God of the age. And it's not so much that we stand against the world, although, I mean, we do, but it's more so that we stand for the living God through Jesus Christ. We stand for Christ. We stand for his word. And if we stand for Christ, the world and the God of the age is going to stand against us. And that's to be expected. The Bible tells us to expect it. 
It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It will happen. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You shouldn't think it's strange. Because we are opposed to the world and the world is opposed to God. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they literally went through a fiery trial because they stood for God. And now we stand for Christ. And if we stand for Christ and we remain standing for Christ, we will face many of the same things. And so we cannot be caught by surprise when the world stands against us. We can't be surprised when we are persecuted, but we stand strong. Now, a second lesson that I want you to notice with these, in this passage is that when you take a stand for God, your faith will be tested, but your faith will also be matured. Your faith is going to be tested, but your faith is going to be matured. It's going to be grown. Now, obviously, the faith of these three men were tested. You know, I mean, you're faced with death. You're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. That does not sound like any fun whatsoever. And so, I mean, you're faced with, do you actually believe what you say you believe? You know, here it is. You have talked the talk, but do you actually believe it? I mean, you can say the right things. Oh, yeah, I have faith. Oh, sure, I believe God is sovereign. Oh, yeah, I believe all the right doctrines. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm Christian, and I believe, oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. Oh, yeah, I believe everything I'm supposed to believe as a good Baptist. But when push comes to shove, do you really? Because I meet and I talk with so many people who claim a Christianity that they might have it in their head. And yet that Christianity is not being interpreted into their life. It, 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 they, they say they read the Bible and yet what the Bible says doesn't impact the way that they think about things that's going on in their lives. And, 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 and so... You say you have faith, does it translate into your life? Because then when your faith is tested, what is going to happen? You know, so just like Abraham's faith was tested, their faith was tested. Okay. Do we actually believe what we say we believe about God? But they stood strong. So they, you know, the three men, they tell the king, you know, there's no reason to go through all that pomp and circumstance. Because we don't even have to think about our response. And, you know, they laid out for Nebuchadnezzar exactly what they believed. You, we don't have to answer you in this. We've made our decision already. They believed that their God is more than able to deliver them from the fiery furnace and from the king's hand. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, what God is going to deliver you out of my hand? Well... They said, our God will. 
Their answer to that question was, our God is, can deliver us from your hand. But you notice that they, they added, if you want to call it fine print, a caveat, or whatever you want, want to call it, they said he's able to. We have no doubt that he's able to deliver us. But the thing is, he might not. He might choose not to. They knew that you know, God had a sovereign plan, and his sovereign plan might include a different result than what they were hoping for or what they were looking for. You know, in verse 4, they state, you know, they, they say in verse 17, you know, he's able to deliver us from, from the furnace and from your hand. But then verse 18 begins, but if not... They knew it was a possibility that God might not choose to save them. It all depended on God's sovereign will. He might deliver them. He was more than capable of delivering them. But he might not. And we got, we, we got to deal with that. For some reason, I don't know if it's just the influence of the prosperity gospel or whatever. We think that, you know, if we, get, if we find the right formula of prayer and Bible reading or whatever, if we do things right, if we cross all these T's and dot all these I's, then we're going to get the, the result that we want. That's not how it works. We hate talking about this, but, but can we have some biblical reality here? God might not deliver. And if he doesn't, is he still a good God? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, we know, okay, we know the results here. But have you ever perused through Fox's Book of Martyrs that highlights men and women in history who were martyred, who gave their lives for the cause of Christ? Did they, were they not delivered because they didn't have the right formula? Somehow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had the right formula, but they, these others didn't? No, it has nothing to do with that. God has sovereign plans. And he is still a good God. And so our faith is going to be tested that way. And we got to, you know, it's good to think about right now. You know what? If God doesn't give me the answer that I want for fill in the blank, I need to be okay with that. If God does not heal, if God does not take this away or give this, he's still God. And I'm going to be okay with that because I believe in what the Bible says about him. You know, they said he's more than able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, if that's not his plan, we're still not going to blaspheme our God. We're still not going to bow down to the God of the age. Whatever he decides to do with us, it don't matter. And so their faith is tested. Do, you know, do we believe? Now, 
you know, can he deliver us from whatever? Absolutely. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. Is there a possibility he might not deliver us from, you know, whatever? Absolutely. He might not. God is in control. God has his plans. God has his will. And if we're tested in a way that we don't like, you know, we're going to have to be okay with that. As one author summarized it, he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, although no doubt existed in their minds about the ability of God uh, to, to deliver them, they humbly accepted the fact that God does not always choose to intervene miraculously in human circumstances, even on behalf of his servants. So even if they were to suffer a horrible, painful death, although, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like as hot as that fiery furnace was, it'd go pretty quick, but, you know, it didn't matter. They were going to still stand for God. It is more important to stand for God than to preserve your own life. I mean, Jesus said, if you save your life, you're going to lose it, but if you lose your life, you're going to save it. And we see this principle elsewhere in Scripture, like Job. Even Job, he and his friends, their theology wasn't always straight. But at least I think he said this right in Job 13, 15. He said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I'm going to hope in God. I have nowhere else to go. Jesus told us in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so their, their faith was tested, but by, at, the, at kind of the same time, by their faith being tested, their faith was also matured. Because, you know, they took their stand in faith before knowing what the outcome was going to be. I mean, we may die. This might be the point that we may die. And so by holding to the faith and by taking their stand, they actually grew and they matured in the faith. And James Montgomery Boyce, he talks about way, three ways in which uh, they kind of matured in the faith. One, they grew in their conviction that God was sovereign. I mean, because th this whole thing was not a speculation or an abstraction. I mean, this was literal faith in front of the fiery furnace and, and so they grew in the conviction that god is sovereign even when things aren't going their way and so you know what even when the situation looks bleak on the earth it's still foolish to not entrust their lives to his hand and just trust that you know what if I die then I'm going to be in his presence and so their faith matured with that the conviction of God's sovereignty yeah God is sovereign and whether or not I like the outcome I'm going to leave it in his hands they also grew in their conviction of the truthfulness of Scripture I mean, they, they believe Scripture. That's why, you know, they, they knew you don't bow down to any other God and, and things like that. But, um, you know, they knew that Scripture had things to say about 
how to live and how to worship and how not to worship and who not to worship and, and, and things uh, like that. They knew that the Word of God would cut through and had something to say about their situation. And, and, and so they, they, they said, you know what, we're going to trust the Scripture that we know. We're going to trust that uh, we're going to give ourselves over to what Scripture teaches. And we know that it's authoritative. We know it's trustworthy. We know it's inerrant about everything. And so we're just going to follow Scripture. So they grew in their conviction about Scripture. But then third, you know, they, they just confirmed in their hearts that they were willing to die for their convictions. That they... They, they matured in their faith with the idea that, you know what, my belief is true, my God is true, his word is true, and I'm convinced of that, and I will remain convinced of that till my death, even if it's my faith that causes my death. Because this is important, it, it, it's... Again, one thing to say, I believe in a sovereign God. It's one thing to say, I believe that Scripture is true. Are you willing to pay the price for those convictions? I mean, no. And I pray that none of us that, you know, will face something like what they face. Give up your belief in God or die. Believe, give up your belief in Christ or die. Now, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing that. And we got to pray for them. But we're not right now, but. You know how they talk about first world problems? You know, we have such first world problems. Oh, my phone's not working right. <gasps> my goodness, you know, first world problems, right? Well, we have first world Christian problems. Oh, I might lose popularity. Oh, I might be ridiculed. Oh, people might say mean things about me on Twitter. <gasps> Trying to be dramatic there. I'm not good at being dramatic. But, you know, we get so dramatic about it. First world Christian problems. Look, if someone saying mean things on Twitter about you is the worst that's going to happen to you, I think you're going to live. But there's people who don't even... Not, I'm not going to stand up for Christ if it means the loss of popularity, the loneliness, the ridicule, whatever. Well then... You either don't have faith or you have a very immature faith. And so when our faith is tested, my prayer is that we would mature, you know, in these areas as well. And so one last thing, just a quick note, one last quick lesson is when you stand for God, he will be glorified. And that's ultimately what you want. When you stand for God, he will be glorified. These three men, they placed their faith in God. And, and by what God was allowing to happen and what God was going to do, he opened up this door for pagans to see the glory of God, the majesty of God 
in ways that they couldn't deny it and in ways that they wouldn't have known. And that's the thing. These pagans wouldn't have known the glory and majesty of God like they did without these three men going through what they went through. I mean, they went into the furnace with the thought, we're dying, we're dead, but we're going into the hands of God. So you read the story. They said, no, we don't have to answer you about this. He may save, God may deliver us, he may not, don't matter, we ain't bowing down. The king was furious. How dare someone question my authority? Don't they know who I am? I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm more powerful than the gods. And in his anger, you know, he, he told them, put the furnace as hot as it goes. You know, it says, heat it up seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. Heat, heat that thing up as hot as that thing will go. And get my strongest men, bind these people, and you throw them into the furnace. And so it's, uh, what we're thinking is it's this huge kiln kind of thing. And there was an opening at the top that they were going to you know, throw them into. Well, it, they opened it up and they threw the men in there, but it was so hot, those strong men were burned to a crisp. And they died. But they threw them into the furnace. But instead of these three guys burning up, the ropes that, was, that they were tied with were the only things that burned up. And they began to walk around in the fire. And they were miraculously saved. And they weren't alone. There was a divine messenger in there. Some believe it was a pre-incarnate Christ. Some believe it was an angel. But either way, God sent a helper there to help them and preserve them. And you know, I don't exactly know how God works these things out. But Nebuchadnezzar, with his own eyes, saw what kind of God is able to deliver people out of his hands. And so the king had to check his own sanity. He had to check with his advisors. Now, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Now, wait a minute. We threw three men in that fire, right? right? We, there, there were three Jews that we threw in that fire. And they said, yeah. Why do I see four? And why are they walking around? That fire just killed all these mighty men, all some of my best soldiers, and here they are walking around. What in the world's going on? He called them out. Had to check it out for himself. And Nebuchadnezzar and all his advisors and whatnot gather around these three Jews. They're looking at them. I mean, their hair's not singed. Their clothes aren't burnt. They don't even smell like smoke. Eyewitness testimony to the glory of God. They were witnesses to God, the power of the God of the Jews. They were witness to the glory of the God. Now, again, God could have chosen not to save them, but in either decision, God would have received glory. And out of the mouth of an arrogant pagan king comes praise to God. 
Now, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't like really converted that day. You'll see in chapter 4, he's still this arrogant, thinks he's all that kind of guy. But here there's praise coming from the mouth of a pagan king. He gave due reverence to God. By what these men endured and by standing for God, even in the face of what they were facing, God received glory in the sight of pagans. And let's pray that that's true for us as well. And let that be our motive for taking a stand for God. That God receive glory. You know, let, let our motive be, I want God to receive glory. You know, let's not let our motive be, I'm going to stand for God because I'm stubborn and I just want to prove them wrong. Or, you know, whatever. Or I'm going to stand for God so I can draw attention to myself. No, I want to stand for God so that God is glorified in the eyes of those who see me stand. And who knows? Who knows when these pagans see me stand for God, they might want to know why. And then I can share the gospel with them. And then who knows what God can do. God can save even the most hard-hearted pagan that there is. And boy, will God get the glory then. And so let's pray tonight. Let's pray for strength to stand just like these men did. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.